Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Muhammad, coming to you live from Fairburn, Georgia tonight. Uh, we have our resident legal export, expert on board with us that's going to that's here to answer any and all of your transportation law questions. Uh, we're going to discuss quite a few different topics tonight. Hopefully we can get to them all, but most importantly, if you have questions, go ahead and press number one right now. Get in early, get in line so that uh, we can be sure to get your call in before the end of the show. And tonight we're going to start off as we normally do, this week's uh, USDA truck rate report. There has been a good bit of movement going on in the report, a lot of fluctuations. Hopefully everybody is uh, being prosperous on the spot market. I think that all three different segments that we cover here on the show reefers, flatbeds, and dry vans should be experiencing pretty good, solid rates all across the board. We'll get into that a little bit, uh, get into the, uh, more specifics on the rates. But this week's USDA report gives you a little bit of an indication. We'll have a link up for you on our Facebook page for you to click on that link to go and look at the, uh, the report in more in-depth. But uh, there's some good movement on the report. A lot of areas that are reporting shortages, and that's where we're going to start off tonight with the areas that are starting, that are reporting the shortages. And those areas are Central and South Florida is reporting an outright shortage of trucks, as we always warn. Actually, the two areas, uh, West District of Florida, with the tomatoes coming out of there, uh, both of those are the places that are reporting the shortage of trucks. As we always try to give a disclaimer about when we talk about Florida, Florida is like an anomaly. Um, depending upon which little nook and cranny that you are in in Florida can be real crucial as to whether or not the supply and demand is going to actually be there or not. And then you have to also account for the people that are in parts of Florida where the demand is not so in, much in the favor of the uh, carrier are going to be dipping into that area. So make sure that, as we always try to tell you about Florida right now at this time of year, make sure you got something lined up before you get in there so that you're not down there depending on uh, getting a really good rate, getting out of there. Go ahead and get you something lined up before you get in there, and that way you're a little bit more solid. Of course, that doesn't account for uh, brokers counseling loads on you, so on and so forth, trying to get a cheaper truck. But it just would be wise for you to be proactive before you actually put yourself in that position in uh, Florida right now. The other areas that are reporting slight shortages, and we have a ton of areas that are reporting slight shortages of trucks, those areas are Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona, Imperial and Coachella Valley, California, Kern District, California, Oxnard District, California, Salinas, Watsonville, California, San Joaquin Valley, California, Santa Maria, California, uh, Southern New Mexico, Lower Rio Grande Valley, Texas, still moving watermelons out of that area, 
Mexico crossing through Texas. All of those areas that we just rattled off for you are reporting slight shortages of trucks. So those are some of the hotbed areas where you can experience um, some really good spot market rates out of those areas. Moving in over into some areas that you may want to avoid, areas that uh, you may want to make sure that you get a little bit extra going into there. And like we talked about the disclaimer earlier, the number one place on the list where there is a slight surplus of trucks, Florida. Um, it just outright Florida. So you can go and click on the report when we post the link and look at the more in-depth portion of the report and try to find out uh, which nooks and crannies to uh, avoid in Florida. Columbia Basin, Washington is also reporting a slight surplus of trucks. Yakima Valley, Winter District, Washington reporting slight surpluses of trucks in those areas. Outright surplus in areas, only one is being reported, and that's San Luis Valley, Colorado. That is the only area that is reporting an outright surplus of trucks. So with that information, hopefully we've helped arm you with a little bit more information to position your trucks if you're working that spot market, to position them to be able to get the most profitability. Uh, we're getting ready to jump over into this week's DAT trend lines report. Uh, of course, the DAT trend lines report runs about a week behind, but we're giving you some information to know, let you know how the previous week was performing and what may be in store for the upcoming week. So the report for DAT runs from June 4th through June 10th. Low board activity from DAT was very robust. Um, they seen a national load-to-truck ratio for all equipment types hitting 11 to 1 ratios. That's the highest it has been since the week after Memorial Day of 2014. There was an expected week-over-week -week increase going from a four-day work week to a five-day work week, plus the annual road check inspection blitz tightened capacity during the week. National average rates increased for vans, reefers, flatbeds, with rates hitting the highest mark in nearly two years. So, of course, as always, the um, if you, you had an opportunity to take advantage of the um, road check week as well, if you were working, if you were not afraid to continue on with your operations of business, then you definitely should have been able to experience some really good rates on the spot market. Jumping over into the U.S. Van Demand and Capacity Report for the week of June 4th through June 10th, demand surge compared to the previous week, which included Memorial Day, nationally low postings increased by 21%. The truck post increased by 8%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase 12% to 5.7 loads per truck. The highest weekly ratio in more than two years, the national average van rate jumped by $0.06 cents from the previous week. Just to give a little bit of a historical overview, fan load postings jumped up 22% in May compared to April. Truck posts also rose 13% compared to an 8% increase in the national load to truck ratio at 3.7 loads, loads per truck. The ratio was up 109% from where it was at this very same time in, of May of 2016. So let's take a look and jump over to 
the uh, U.S. fan rate information for this week. And as soon as my uh, handy-dandy iPad gets us over there, here we go. All right. Rates pushed higher in the week that followed Memorial Day weekend. In addition to the week, including the road check inspection blitz, which led to tighter capacities and, and higher rates, the national average rate jumped $0.06 cents to $1.79 per mile on average for dry vans. Rates increased in almost every major van market, including Atlanta, Dallas, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Of course, uh, it, it was a very good thing that diesel national average diesel price took a $0.04 cents drop down to a national average of $2.52 for the week. Giving a little bit of historical overview, the national average van rate increased $0.02 cents in May compared to April at $1.69 per mile. The national average rate was $0.15 cents higher than it was in May of 2016. Taking a um, snapshot around the regions of the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checks in showing average spot market rates for dry vans at $1.73 per mile. Jumping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in as a representative city, showing on a robust $2.11 per mile on average. Moving up into the Midwest, Chicago, Illinois checking in, showing average spot market rates for dry vans at $2.06 per mile. Jumping down into the south central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates at $1.76 per mile. We have, moving out to the west coast, we have uh, the representative city of Los Angeles checking in, showing average spot market rates for dry vans at $2.28 per mile. And that $2.28 per mile leads the pack when it comes to spot market rates nationally. So the West Coast is leading the, leading the charge on rates. Let's jump over into this week's uh, U.S. National Flatbed Demand and Capacity Report, switching over to flatbeds for the week of June 4th through June 10th. The flatbed load-to-truck ratio skyrocketed last week to its highest ratio in years. The ratio has remained high this year and even went even higher as a result of higher demand and tighter capacity during road check week. Low posts increased 38%, while truck posts increased only 9%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to rise 27% nationally, up to 49.2 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate also moved higher last week. To give you some historical overview compared to April, flatbed load posts dropped 3% in May, while truck posts rose 16%. That pushed the load-to-truck ratio down 16% to 36.6 loads per truck. Nationally, compared to May of 2016, the ratio has soared by 117%. Jumping over and looking at this week's U.S. flatbed rate information, spot market flatbed rates increased by $0.03 cents last week to a national average of $2.15 per mile the highest weekly average rate in nearly two years. Taking a look 
back historically. Flatbed rates increased three cents in May compared to April. National average of two dollars and ten cents per mile was eighteen cents higher than it was in May of twenty sixteen. Looking at the national spot market rates by region, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, PA checks in showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $3.41 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia being the representative city, showing $2.61 per mile on average for flatbeds. Moving out to Rock Island, Illinois, for the Midwest representative city, $2.56 per mile on average. Dropping down into the South Central, Houston, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.45 per mile. Wrapping up this week's flatbed rate report coming out of the West Coast, Phoenix, Arizona checking in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $1.76 per mile. Moving on over into this week's reefer demand and capacity report for the week of June 4th through the 10th. Reefer demand surge going from the four-day Memorial Day week to a full work week. The annual road check also tightened capacity during the week. Reefer load postings increased by 30%, while truck posts declined by 2% compared to the previous week. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase by 33%, shooting the load-to-truck ratio up to 10.1 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers jumped last week. Had no other choice but to jump. Um, moving over and taking a look historically, reefer load posts in May were 21% higher than they were in April. The truck posts increased by 17%. That led to a 4% rise in the load-to-truck ratio from 6.6 up to 6.8 loads per truck nationally. Compared to May of 2016, the load-to-truck ratio was, has soared up by 98%. Let's take a look and see how reefer rates were performing for the week of June 4th through June 10th. The combination of higher demand of out of California and tight reefer capacity during road check week pushed rates higher on most of the major reefer lanes. The national average rate reefer rate increased by seven cents up to two dollars and eleven cents per mile, the highest weekly rate average in nearly two years. Rates jumped double digits in Fresno, Dallas, and Atlanta, but failed double digits in Lakeland, Florida. So if you connect the dots back to what we talked about on the USDA report, you see what we what, why we always give that bit of caution about Florida. Looking back historically, spot market reefer rates increased by eight cents in May compared to April at two dollars and two cents per mile. The May average was thirteen cents higher than it was at this exact same time one year ago, and that ah. Uh, by region, we want to give you a breakdown of spot market reefer rates starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States. We have Elizabeth, New Jersey checking in, showing average spot market rates of $1.60 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida checking in, showing average spot market rates at $1.90 per mile. 
Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin checks in, leading the pack for reefers at $2.77 per mile on average. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, McAllen, Texas checking in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $2.17 per mile. Out west, coming out of Fresno, California, $2.56 per mile on average on the spot market coming out of Fresno, California. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's DAT Trend Lines report. Jumping over into this week's bad broker report, and we're going to jump, get through that, hit these points really quickly and get Mr. Seaton up and on board with us. So if you guys got questions, like I say, you are, you always know uh, Hank is a wealth, of a wealth of knowledge, wealth of information, takes time out of his busy schedule once a month to join us. You guys press number one if you got questions, and we will get to you and get your questions answered and hopefully get you a, a, a firm resolution better than that uh, truck stop lunch counter information than what you've been getting, get it from an actual trained industry leading expert, Hank Seaton. And uh, this week on the Bad Broker Report, we have checking in for the very first time TransSafe Logistics LLC, Trans TransSafe Carriers Inc. Their MC number is 834-717. Surety bond has been canceled. Over $6,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. EMR Logistics Inc., their MC number is 847-359. FMCSA Shows Trust Fund is scheduled for cancellation on 6-17-17. They have over $12,000 in active non-payment complaints. Georgia Line Logistics, LLC. FMCSA Shows Trust Fund is set to cancel on 6-21-17. Over $5,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Arrow Logistics, LLC, MC number is 689363. Over $30,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. C&J Logistics, Inc., their MC number is 420657. FMCSA shows surety bond scheduled for cancellation on 62917. Over $152,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Logistics Buddy LLC, Logistics Buddy Transportation. Their MC number is 897-096. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled. Over $13,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Omni Specialized LLC, uh, MC number is 957-641. FMCSA shows surety bond canceled. Over $56,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. And last on the list, Micro Logistics LLC, Micro Transportation LLC. Their MC number is 368, excuse me, 736-882. That MC number again is 736-882. FMCSA shows trust fund canceled on 6417, almost Sixty-one thousand dollars in active non-payment complaints have been reported. 
as we always stress here, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're doing your due diligence. Make sure you're doing your credit checks before you put these people freighter on your truck. If they're a new, if they're a new broker, or even if there's a broker that you've been dealing with on a regular basis, always, always try to make sure that you are doing your vetting. Your, your, uh, have a vetting process in place so that you don't get caught up and get burned by uh, the situation. And with that being said. Without any further ado, let's go and get our resident expert, legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton. And I, I got a little surprise maybe here, uh, too, as well. Hank, are you there? Yeah, I am here. Good deal, good deal. Well, uh, talking about all the stuff that we were talking about uh, on with the uh, rates and with these bad brokers and everything, there's a little bit of information that came down from uh, – Came, they hit the news about the uh, ELD mandate that uh, the Supreme Court will not be hearing that. Um, any information that you would like to disseminate to our listening audience pertaining to that? Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, Supreme Court decision came as any real surprise. The ELD is, uh, is one mandate that was not affected by what they call the Congressional Review Act. Uh, as we know, it's been... Uh, uh, endorsed by a lot of the large carriers and by and large many of the uh, uh, independent contractors and drivers uh, who have gotten used to it uh, are damn happy to never have to log again. Uh, the cost of the ELD has, has dropped, but there there are some uh, late-breaking issues about the ELD that it is really causing me to rethink uh, uh, my advice. I have traditionally said that it's uh, kind of a no-brainer that it's coming, that the technology won't cost uh, uh, that much, and that uh, it was one regulation that if we had to spend a whole bunch of money, we shouldn't fight. But at the last 11th hour, a couple of new issues are coming out that could have some uh, frightening implications. One relates to the tolerance that the uh, agency is going to uh, place into the a logarithm for moving the truck. Uh, and uh, what we have heard is that uh, it kind of relates to the 10-hour rule and that uh, the agency will say if you engage the clutch, you're on duty. Uh, that could uh, have some real devastating effects because uh, we all know that when you get to a facility and uh, they may want you to move from one gate to another or you want to bobtail uh, uh, down the street to get a cup of coffee, uh, you know, we, we've taken liberty with that. Uh, strict enforcement of those kinds of rules uh, could create some real problems. Unfortunately, we have seen indication that the agency thinks that, well, gee, you'll never have roadside inspections the way you had before with the HOS, but maybe the agency can just come in and plug into your uh, ELD computer and uh, uh, write fines uh, for uh, exceeding the hours of service or for speeding or uh, use uh, your computer program for a real quick and nasty audit. Uh, we're seeing some of uh, of those kinds of abuses now where uh, the, the, the telemetrics is making it the agency's job easier. 
And I think what all of that betrays is the fact that what is the effect of all of this on productivity? Uh, I was speaking with a fairly good-sized client the other day who had put the ELD into his equipment. He runs uh, some long distances, and he said, Hank, you know, uh, there's no flexibility in the ELD, and uh, my productivity on my owner-operators is substantially diminished. He was talking about something in the neighborhood of 15% productivity dump. Now, obviously, that's not the result of just having the ELD in there. I think it's really a result of the fact that, uh, not that people, quote, cheated on their logs, unquote, but that we all recognize that the straight jacket of the 10-hour the rule and, or the 11-hour rule and the 14-hour rule uh, doesn't really work. It doesn't really work in terms of getting miles and getting home. It doesn't really work unless uh, we can convince uh, the shipping public that they have to unload you within 45 minutes of arrival. So we really, I think, need to be looking at, uh, since the Trump administration has suggested we look at uh, at regulations, revisiting the hours of service. Uh, uh, oh, how long did we labor under the two 34-hour, the 34-hour restarts and the two overnight period for uh, a study to be conducted and people to all of a sudden realize there was no safety benefit? We had just uh, been away from home because of silly regulations. There is a new study group starting to look at uh, the value of a split sleeper berth and. Uh, Many of us have said for, uh, what has it been, at least a decade now, that uh, a split sleeper berth is uh, is practical and doesn't have a diminished effect on sleep. So I, I, I'd like to think that uh, maybe we'll get a genuine review of uh, uh, not just the ELD, but the, uh, the, the hours of service in the split sleeper berth, and maybe the difficulty that could happen when the ELD goes in will uh, cause industry to uh, uh, insist on some changes. So, uh, you know, I, it, it kind of caught me by surprise, but the, uh, my safety consultants say that uh, a lot's going to depend on how that uh, uh, those computers are set and, and, and how it comes to pass. So I know that there's a lot of... Uh, of small carriers who are worried about the effective date. And uh, there are some people going out and saying, well, gee, all the small carriers are just going to be out of business because they won't have it. I don't really understand that to be the problem because apparently if you, uh, if you get Big Road or one of the, uh, one of the product, products uh, uh, before the effective date, uh, whether it meets the government specs, you'll have some additional time to comply. So I think the uh, the smart money is go ahead and be looking at the technology, the technology alone, uh, and the expense of it's not the issue, but there are these repercussions. Right. And with that being said, uh, I think we got a little bit of – I, I, I talked with them a little – we kind of exchanged a couple of texts a little earlier. And we haven't had this opportunity before. I want to take full advantage of this while I got you on the line with this, Hank, 
Uh, we got our resident mentor on the line with us that kind of uh, joins our show as well. I think you guys had an opportunity to actually meet face-to-face. Uh, Mr. Chuck Snow, the CEO of Traffics out of Canada. Hi, Chuck. Let me see if I can grab him and hey, put him up on board with us. There he is. Well, this is a pleasant surprise. I didn't know you were on tonight until I called in. This is great. That's that's great. Good to talk to you, Chuck. Yeah, it's, and, and you know what, Hank? It's always a, what a pleasure listening to you. You're such a wealth of knowledge for us, for all of us, and you've got well, such thanks, a great Jeff. way of looking at things. Uh oh. Hello. You, you. Hello. I'm here. There we I'm go. Here. Okay, I'm, I'm here. here. I'm here. Chuck. <laughs> We're all here. All right. Well, good deal. Well, Chuck, you got anything uh, that you want to talking about the ELD situation you, with your operation and everything? Anything you want to add on top of it, or anything you want to? Uh, hey, you get a chance too. You want anything you want to ask? Hank, well, you got? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm. You know what? I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna reiterate what Hank said. It makes perfect sense, and it really depends on how, uh, you know, how the agency is going to view us. And if they're going to cut us some slack when we have to move a truck, um, you know, from one gate to another, or, or as Hank says, when you bobtail down the road to use the bathroom, even are they going to nail us for that? And I, I really hope not. I hope that, you know, if we're going to be investing in this technology, which we, we're all getting uh, pushed to, and everybody is going to be a hell of a lot more compliant using it than they've ever been, I think there's got to be a little bit of wiggle room. Um, yeah, and, and the I'm other thing that, that, that I think Chuck would probably say amen to because of uh, uh, the nature of some of the traffic uh, that he handles, whether it be north of the border or south of the border, uh, the real problem with uh, tight prescriptions on the hours of service uh, is the uh, the detention problem. And I guess it's probably worse in the wholesale and retail grocery industry than anywhere else. And uh, with the straitjacket we have down here on the hours of service and the fact you can't move the truck virtually uh, for that 10 consecutive hours off, if you're delayed, particularly on truckload for uh, more than 45 minutes or an hour, you can't really even be compensated for that delay because it screws up your next load. And uh, there, there is an issue here that isn't helpful for those of you who are doing stop-off truckloads. And it is, uh, I was at a couple of conventions this past week where, People were in furniture, and they were making as many as 30 stop-offs off of a truckload. And uh, they said, uh, man, you know, you screw up with uh, uh, one in-home delivery or one guy who's late, and, uh, you know, your truck can have a bad hair week and and lose its return move. Uh, People are asking, (laughs) how is Amazon uh, managing to get the stuff there next day with predictability? And they're going back to an old model. It's a model that in deregulation we replaced with truckload stop-off, but it's a pool pedal. And, you know, they're blowing things out of uh, 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 fulfillment centers that are pre-stenciled, and then they may line haul them from Cincy to Nashville, and then it goes out to breakup carriers who make a pedal delivery. 
And that system is a whole lot easier to control in terms of uh, 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 getting it from origin to destination using visibility than in some sense our truckload is. So, uh, you know, I'm just seeing uh, there's a pressure as a lot of carriers, even big carriers like Warner, uh, think they're getting into uh, last mile white glove delivery uh, because uh, I think people think that uh, 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 there's going to be more internet sales, the, the supply chain is going to uh, to change, and that all of those things may have repercussions, uh, especially for uh, the owner-operator who does truckload and stop-off truckload. Uh, I don't know whether it'll get to get to groceries, but good Lord, uh, I was over in North Carolina and uh, this uh, today, and, and there are big shopping malls over there that are just empty. One's been sold to High Point University, and it's a magnificent-looking facility, but just simply couldn't make it. And so I... I I think we're in for some distribution changes here in the next few years, and uh, we're going to have to watch it carefully because somebody's moving the cheese. Yeah. Uh, you know I think you're right on the money there. And we are seeing more and more of the carriers. I know that uh, Werner recently got into the final uh, mile white glove. I was in, uh, when I was in Chicago a few weeks ago, I, I saw some J.B. Hunt uh, trucks that were doing it. Um, it's becoming more and more common. As we all know, retail is changing. Um, you know, the, the younger people are not shopping in malls anymore. They're shopping online. You've heard of the demise of, uh, you know, of Sears, which is unfortunate, and they're just they're all fighting the same battle. Um, so retail is going to change, and unfortunately, this whole mall thing is going to change, and we are going to see more and more online sales of everything from uh, groceries to pet food to uh, to furniture. But one of the issues as a carrier, obviously, that we're having, same as everybody else, is when we're delivering, whether it's a full load with no stop-offs, you know, just one stop-off or several, it's the detention, especially when we're hauling uh, fresh produce into some of the grocery chains and distribution centers throughout North America. And there's a uh, there's a gentleman from Oregon, I believe, and I think his name is Peter DeFazio. You know better than me. And I remember yeah, that I know DeFazio. And I remember him uh, trying to pass a bill about three or four years ago, where he was addressing right. it right. You know, before we went to ELDs, he said, "Let's get the shippers and receivers on side, so they won't detain the trucks." He had it right. He wanted to build the foundation before they put up the walls. And unfortunately, um, you know, uh, no offense to the, your lawmakers, but I think they did it all backwards. They should have uh, they should have had guidelines in there for shippers and receivers of how long they could take to load, and uh, and then put the ELD mandate in. And I yeah, think it would have been I'm a lot easier. Yeah, I'm to remember the days of regulation. And we used to have mandatory detention rules set by the uh, Interstate Commerce Commission that said that, uh, you know, after I think it was 45 minutes worth of free time, there was an established rate that shippers had to pay for detention. Uh, but it's, it has, uh, it's tough for a truckload operator 
to have these confining rules of service that take flexibility out and then not get compensated to wait. Uh, and if anything, uh, you know, it's a pincer movement. You've got that on one hand, and you've got these pools and pedals on the other. And, uh, you know, I think it's time for uh, those who uh, are in the truckload segment to say, we got to have some relief. I believe it starts with the idea of this, this shipper who says, if you miss this time appointment, you can come back in two weeks. Uh, and, you know, yeah. for so long, shippers have been able to jam that down us, and I won't call names, but uh, uh, a lot of them are very efficient uh, uh, grocery houses who, who basically build their efficiency on, uh, on the back of the carriers that serve them. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's systemic in uh, you know in grocery and, and just in retail in general. Um, and one of the one of the challenges we're having now, I don't mind when you have some wiggle room and or you have some extra money because you put three or four partial loads together. When then you're getting paid and you can expect it and you can actually you can't afford it, but you can afford it a hell of a lot better than you can when you've got a, a full truckload with a stop-off it's going to pay you $100 even or $150 even when it's en route, you you know, uh, if that receiver doesn't unload you in that 45 minutes or an hour, if he takes three hours to get those two skids off, which happens sometimes because, the, you know, their doors are plugged, um, what happens then is, of course, it's the domino effect. And like you say, your truck is going to have that bad hair week. But, you know, some of the carriers I've been talking to and I've, even my own uh, management, we're starting to look at the, these drop-offs on truckload. Maybe we don't want to do them anymore. You know, it's going to be a full load and, uh, you know, one pickup, one delivery because we can't afford the delays anymore. It just, it, the loss of productivity on a human being and on a truck is too great today. You know, these trucks do uh, to buy new or, you know, up in Canada, we're in excess of $150,000, $160,000. And you've got to pay a driver well or he can't afford to live. Yeah, so, when you're sitting on that kind of asset, you have to ask yourself, wouldn't the industry be a whole lot better off if that receiver put on a second or third shift? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and it went back to the... The LTL people have it right. They say, uh, if we show up during ordinary business hours, you've got 45 minutes to get us off. And uh, for the LTL doors, there's usually enough capacity to see that happens. It's only where uh, uh, the, the truckload carriers get floor planned to that, that uh, uh, you know, pay to wait's a problem. Uh, and, and, you know, the increasing cost because of fuel efficiency standards and all of that, of a tractor-trailer unit means it's no longer a poor man's game. You're going to get a new unit. You're right. You're up to, what, $140,000, $150,000, and that probably doesn't cover a reefer. And so no. you've got expensive talent and, uh, and, and ruining a man's uh, life if you tell him he's going to sit uh, uh, and, and lose 10 hours because uh, you're going to uh, uh, close the dock promptly at 5. And the money just is not there. When you, uh, when you look at that investment, especially if you've got a refrigerated trailer attached to that new power unit, you know, you're up to, uh, in Canadian funds, you're up to uh, 
uh, let's say, call it 160, and uh, you're up to almost a quarter million dollars Canadian funds, okay, to use that piece mm-hmm. of equipment for 70 hours in a week. It, the numbers don't, you, you know, unless you're hauling gold bullion, uh, hauling lettuce or, um, or oranges from Florida, you can't do it if you're being detained, especially if you're being detained on both ends. We did it. This might be interesting to some people. Uh, we were doing an analysis with some furniture haulers on last mile delivery of furniture. And you get this thing where it's in a box and it came from the Orient and nobody's looked at it until it gets to the second story work, walk up. And then the uh, homeowner looks at it and she was expecting a purple couch and she's got a red one. And so she says, I don't want it. Well, that couch may only cost 800 bucks. Uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, the the retailer who sold it doesn't have any procedure to get it even salvaged. So it's setting up country and uh, uh, beat up on you, little Chuck. I, I had a, a guy who was trying to make pedal deliveries in Ontario, and all this stuff was backing up uh, as free astray. And the fact of the matter is the stuff was so cheap that the transportation cost to get it back to some place to be redeployed uh, exceeded everybody's profit margin is not the value of the couch. <laughs> that's that's the new world we're living in, you see, because we're outsourcing yeah. all the manufacturing of the furniture. Rather, it used to be made in the Carolinas, and now it's all made somewhere in Asia. Absolutely. And it's and it is Go ahead. Jumping back in to change gears and shift gears just for a second. Um, I think we talked a little earlier. You um, wanted me to make sure that we talked about the toll gating of the interstate. Uh, another another hot topic that's come, maybe coming down the pike. Uh, what do we need to know about that or what do we need to be aware of? Well, I mean, it, it, it's more of a gripe than it is any great news. Congress down here says that uh, there's no appetite for uh, a federal increase in the fuel tax. Uh, And uh, uh, let's face it, I think truckers feel that since uh, uh, we're basically going to pass on the fuel surcharge and the roads need to be fixed, an increase in the uh, fuel tax uh, on both uh, uh, the carriers and the four-wheelers is the best way to, to fund what's been long overdue. It's a shame that in the politics we've kicked this can down the road as the highways have gotten worse. And meanwhile, we've been uh, funding turtle tunnels and all kinds of, uh, of, of crazy uh, urban transit issues, but nobody seems to really want to address the issue. Uh, President Trump, who has uh, uh, done some really good things in terms of giving us a, a pause button on regulation, uh, came out the other day and said that, you know, he thought we ought to more liberally use uh, toll gating. And uh, that would be a nightmare just in terms of getting through the toll gates, but also in terms of being able to effectively price to recoup the cost. I'm in Tennessee. We just passed a 13 cent uh, increase in, in fuel taxes you're still going to find it's cheaper than down here than it is a lot of other places. But we're going to give a free ride to all those folks in Virginia that want to go from Mountain City to Memphis. 
they're just going to pay for it in a little more fuel. But I'll tell you, if uh, Virginia is, is bankrupt and uh, if you give them half a chance, they'll put toll gates on 81. Uh, everybody, the states, if it falls back to them, uh, will end up using toll gates. And the nasty little secret is the people that buy the highways right now are either Australians or Spanish. So I just think it's really a bad idea. Uh, and that's one thing that I think big and small carriers all agree upon. How, how we get our point across to Washington uh, remains to be seen. It looks like it's, uh, it's dreadlock. Uh, gridlock. I think it's one of the one of the major initiatives that uh, organized trucking may push. There are others. I hope we get a chance to cover that are also immediate and harmful. But uh, I, I I think uh, I don't I don't know why Trump came out with that statement. Maybe he was just uh, ill informed. It's always been the the railroads who've argued that uh, uh, Eisenhower is dead and that. Uh, uh, we ought to, uh, you know, have our own uh, uh, toll gate situation. The interesting thing is people are now talking about jumping over the fact that the highways need to be fixed, and all the people are talking about driverless trucks. Uh, I've heard three presentations, uh, all uh, uh, one from uh, uh, one from Volvo and one from. Uh, uh, a political analyst for the ATA talking about platooning and uh, 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 ultimately in 15 years uh, just having the driver, uh, uh, I guess, I, I guess playing on his cell phone and looking up every now and then. They haven't gotten to the point where they completely want to do away with the driver, but that seems to be a real buzzword. And I think uh, we've got the tyranny of the immediate and a whole lot of things we need to deal with in the short run rather than, than worry about that. It's one way of addressing the future labor problem in our industry because nobody wants to, the way these poor drivers get treated, nobody wants to do the work. So the best thing to do is take the driver out of the equation and we'll have driverless trucks and that way there's nobody to mistreat at, you know, at uh, shipping and receiving docks. Well, uh, you know, Call me a curmudgeon or, 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 or a, uh, a skeptic, but I saw uh, uh, one of these studies, and this truck was riding along, and all of a sudden someone came to immediate stop, and this truck stopped with such a a, a, a violent uh, braking that uh, uh, my question was, what happened to the poor sucker that was behind it? The truck <laughs> yeah. stopped, but... Uh, but uh, we still share the road with the four-wheeler. So I don't know how in the world they're going to do it. When they showed the uh, the platooning, it was on a road that had no traffic, and all of a sudden these uh, these uh, other three uh, uh, containers just uh, kind of magically uh, a draft behind the one in front of it without, without even so much as having a, uh, a driver on board. And, that just doesn't replicate any interstate I've been on. But can you imagine? I guess it, 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 it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, we can imagine uh, driving well, a truck. While I got both you guys on, while while I yeah. got both you guys on, I want to throw throw another little uh, uh, curveball into the mix. Something that I've been seeing on social media. Uh, something that's kind of been a little bit of a buzz. 
and and some of the things that people are talking about with all of the different regulations and all the different things that are coming down on uh, truckers. Of course, uh, one the big buzz, some of the buzz is going around in certain corners and certain pockets. People are talking about, hey, we should organize and strike again. Just curious, why I got you you two gentlemen on the phone? To, to, to come, you got a, such a diverse background. What's your opinion on such a tactic, if you have one? I have one, and I can tell you, the only time I ever saw strikes work in our industry was when I was a little boy, and that's a long time ago because I'm going to be 64 years old next month. And I remember when I was a kid, and Hank's old enough to remember this, when we were kids, and the Teamsters would go on strike, and you couldn't get anything because most of the truck drivers, and I'm talking about probably back then, 90% of the um, the truck drivers working for transport companies, and that's, that was in a regulated environment. They were all members of the Teamsters Union. But we've come away from that these days, and between different unions and between um, owner-operators and, and fleets that aren't unionized, we've seen these strikes and, you know, several times in the last 40-odd years. I remember, I think his name was Mike Parkers from Overdrive uh, Magazine. He led one back in the, I think it was the early 70s. None of them last long because it's a mentality out there of every man for himself. And not everybody right. has a gripe, number one. And number two, an awful lot of people out there can't afford to strike. Because even if things are bad and they're not making it, they need to bring in that money at the end of the week in order to pay their bills, in order to make their truck payment. They don't want to lose their truck over an issue that maybe isn't theirs 100%. Um, maybe it's bad, but it's not that bad for them. Or maybe it's real bad for them, but they're in so deep they can't afford to strike. So that's yeah, the problem. Let, There's let, just let too me, many different people in the race. Yeah, let, let me chime in on this. And, I remember, and, and, and Hank, uh, right, and, yeah. and, and Hank, if, if you could also, when you chime in on it, just because I'm not sure if there is or if there isn't, but we got you on board. Is there any legal ramifications from doing uh, from a strike as well? Well. We we talk about strike as opposed to a protest. The strike is an inherent union concept, and uh, uh, I think that um, uh, the independent contractor certainly isn't in for uh, participating in some kind of, of organized strike. We had a protest here in the 70s when I was downtown across from the Interstate Commerce Commission, and a New Jersey uh, 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 trucking magnet, we called her the Tagger Lady, brought a bunch of trucks down to down to the mall and tied up the mall for a couple of days, and it really accomplished uh, nothing. Uh, I say that, uh, but I do feel like uh, that uh, the small motor carrier and the independent contractor somehow don't get their uh, uh, don't get attention to their issue. And I think it's because of the lobbyists in Washington, and I think that we're squeezed out. Uh, I think uh, folks that uh, uh, know that I've, I've really got a, a heart for the small guys, and we try to do what we can on the Hill and in the regulatory forum to say, look, 
you regulate uh, you regulate uh, over half a million carriers, and uh, 95% of them uh, are are less than 10 trucks. And you, uh, Mr. Legislator, uh, maybe uh, maybe we don't take you to the big uh, to big dinners, but uh, uh, if you start looking at who your constituents are in small town America, they they is us. And uh, we have been able to find that uh, all politics is local and that you get more bang for your buck if you just actually go to see your congressman when he's home and explain to him that, uh, you know, you're Main Street. You're not, uh, uh, you're not Wall Street. And uh, if people really realize uh, uh, how many millions of, uh, of independent businessmen there are in trucking, and how completely uh, crazy uh, we're we're treated by the federal government, then you can have some effect. Uh, I can name three congressmen that all were contacted by small carriers who are responsible uh, basically for getting uh, in the FAST Act the taking down of SMS methodology. Now, you may hear some big trade association claim they did it, but you can owe your thanks for that to Congressman Gibbs from Ohio, uh, to Barletta from Pennsylvania, and Duncan from Tennessee, because they were on the right committee, and basically they had enough small guys come in and tell them the same story to make a difference. And, you know, that's about the only way I know to do it. Uh, occasionally you'll get some good press. Uh, you know, the press tends to want to say, oh, gee, uh, uh, the, the, the poor employee is getting, getting creamed. But they really need to look at it from an entrepreneurial point of view. Uh, the whole reason we've got the independent contractor model is so that people can be blue-collar entrepreneurs and succeed. And the reason the model works is because the guy who, who wants to be ambitious is uh, not going to take the idea, well, it's not my job. I'm going to get this load off and get on down the road. So I'm just saying it is a, a philosophical battle. And I don't know if we've got to go to Washington Park Trucks to do it, but it's not getting expressed very well. Good well deal. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, we, we, we are getting close to the top of the hour. We This is a very rare occasion. We have never had both of our mentors on at the same time. Uh, so we have Mr. Chuck Snow that popped in and joined us tonight. We also have uh, our resident legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton, on with us tonight. So I don't want you guys to miss the opportunity. If you got a question, go ahead and press number one. There's no such thing as a stupid question. We have a bunch of people on the line. Uh, you can press number one. We'll get to you. Try to get you in before the top of the uh, before the end of the show. But if you got a question for either one of these gentlemen, take advantage of it right now because we haven't had this opportunity ever before in the history of our show, and I'm not sure if we're going to have it again. So you know, I I, I encourage you to take advantage of that while we got it here with us with us, and I see we got a couple of people uh, jumping on board right now. We'll get them screened in, and we'll get them up and on board. Uh, but while we're doing that, I want to remind everybody while we're getting the caller screened that um, Hank has an excellent service that they have at TransComply. If you guys are any type of food safety, uh, I mean, if you are a food, handling any type of food with your transportation they have an excellent program going on over there. Go to transcomply.com, get signed up with them. Also, 
uh, the, the Hank's new book, uh, Rules of the Road. You can order it on that website, transcomply.com. If you use, uh, we have a promo code. I will post that promo code here in a little bit. You can get a discount on the book, um, Rules of the Road. You have to have, that, that is one of the things that I, I strongly, strongly, I can't recommend it strongly enough. You have to have that in your library so that you understand what it is that you're getting into with these legal contracts. When you're dealing with uh, broker contracts, whether you're doing lease, uh, lease purchase contracts, all of that stuff is covered in there. Um, you want to make sure that you got some kind of point of reference so that you can be able to get uh, have have a point of reference so that you don't have to always go to an attorney. You can have some of the stuff that's broken down to you in a little bit of layman's terms, and then you have Hank there as well that you can follow up with uh, and, and, and use his services as well. So, uh, Hank, while we got an opportunity, uh, we're getting that call the screen. Here. You want to give out your contact information for everybody? Yeah, if you if you've got a question, you can email me at uh, my initials, which are H is in Henry, E is in Edward, S E A T O N at AOL dot com. That's H E S E A T O N at AOL dot com. It may be easier to remember our firm website, which is just simply Transportation Law, written together, TransportationLaw dot net, and you'll see there we've got. Uh, 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 some uh, PowerPoints, some webinars, some articles that I wrote for uh, CCJ years ago. It's fairly well indexed, so you know if you uh, if you've got a factoring agreement, you can index it by factoring. Uh, factoring, for example, is one of the contracts that's covered in the book. Uh, the book also covers how to buy insurance and what the loopholes are in cargo. Uh, uh, collection procedures, uh, uh, cargo claims, uh, uh, pretty much uh, uh, the issues that a, a small carrier needs to have some walking around knowledge in order to uh, avoid some of the potholes in the road. All right, good deal. Let's see. Uh, still waiting to get a couple of callers screened in. I think they're getting screened right now. Want to get them up and on board, Chuck? Uh, while we got you here as well, they got a question for you. How can they get in contact with you? Well, you can email me. It's very easy. Just Chuck at Traffic. That's T R A F F I X. Or you can call me at eight hundred three eight eight four three five two. But you have to dial extension two zero three. And if you don't press 203, you're going to be talking to everybody in the whole place. So you give you a chance to talk to about 80 or 90 people that are on duty that day. So don't do yourself any disservice. Just press 203 and you'll get me. Now, you get my voicemail, leave a message with the phone number. One of the things I do get sometimes is somebody will call and they will talk very quickly and I can't get the number down. So if you're going to leave me a message, speak slowly, leave your phone number and the extension number. I call everybody back. I take a lot of pride in that. It may take me a day, but I'll call you back or I'll answer your email. All right. Well, we got one of our callers screened in. Let's go grab them real quick. Let's grab Chad. Chad, you're up and on board with Rico, Chuck, and Hank. How can we help? Well, I'm beyond help, but that's another topic. Um my question for you, gentlemen, is uh, 
my my father's going to help me get my own truck uh, here with before, sometime between now and spring of next year. And uh, I've been a company guy for just about five years. I grew up with my grandfather. I learned a lot of I learned the mechanical side from him. Am I better off to go on with a carrier like Landstar as an example for you know one to three years and learn how to deal with people on the broker side and then jump out on my own? And also, uh, with all this new stuff coming down the pipeline, I, I mean, today I, when y'all I heard y'all earlier say Supreme Court refused to take up e logs. Uh, me personally, I think that's pretty much the, the the heart attack of the trucking industry. Where do you guys see it going? Uh, and also, yes. is there going to is there going to be a lot of volatility for the single truck owner up? You really got you really got three questions. I'll try to try to handle a couple of them. Uh, no, that's first fine. of all, <laughs> first of all, uh, becoming an independent contractor with a with a large company, if you have been a company uh, operator uh, owner might be a nice uh, mid fit because you'll you'll learn to have to manage your own operation, manage your fuel. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a, a midway step. Uh, otherwise, I think if you go directly into being your own carrier, uh, you, you're going to be faced with a new carrier audit. You're going to be faced with having to file tax returns in a whole lot of states just to get your one truck done. There'll be a whole lot of initial startup costs. So it might not be a bad idea at all uh, to uh, uh, to start with that equipment and uh, get a feel for the road and uh, uh, move into the situation uh, uh, a little with a little more uh, uh, determination. Uh, you know, obviously, you got to figure that uh, uh, by starting uh, from from scratch and buying insurance can can be perilous in this market, and you can get hung up uh, just waiting around waiting around for insurance. So, depending upon how much expertise you've got and how much back office help you've got, I think that might might not be a bad idea. What do you, Chuck and, uh, and Rick, Hank, Rick I, think I, about I couldn't that? agree more. Uh, you know, and I think Landstar is a, a very good outfit. Um, if you can get on there, uh, you know, I think it's a great segue into the industry and gives you a chance to get your feet wet. You can earn some decent money and uh, and learn, you know, learn while you earn. Uh, rather than get into the business and having to deal with all sorts of things besides for dealing with uh, trying to find freight, whether it's through brokers or trying to find it on your own and running a business for one truck, um, I think you're much smarter to go to a Landstar or somebody with that model. An asset-based carrier's got a real commitment to see that you get miles and they get productivity out of you. Uh, It can be kind of hard starting up as as a... as a one truck Charlie and having to uh, check the call board and not get, not get beat up with uh, uh, people uh, depending on where you are. So I, I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, a good start. Now you had, you had a, a couple of other questions, uh, caller. What, what were they? Uh, let's bring them back on board. Let's see. You had them on hold. There you go. Chad, you're back in. Oh, okay. So and just, my and, other and, questions and just, were, just really quickly, were, just, just really quickly, Chad. Um, I, I, as far as the yes, independent sir. contractor goes, my my opinion is that if you if you have a niche, you can find a niche in your local market and and develop a niche in that local market and service some customers 
if you can develop some direct customers or if you can develop a uh, relationship with a broker that is that is uh, servicing your areas of service, then I think that you could put yourself in a position to where you could actually be thriving versus just running strictly off of the spot market. Right. Yeah. I, that one real quick before I go back to my other questions. The only problem with where I live is we have it is it is probably from what I've seen it's almost eighty percent automotive freight. We have two Ford plants in the city I live in, and we have uh, a Toyota plant an hour and a half away. And that's that that freight right there is very stringent on how the economy's doing, uh, yep. and it's very touchy. And 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 they and they and they don't and they they're looking for the cheapest thing they can do. I I apologize, but I'm not out here for charity. I'm out here to earn a living. Uh, but hey, my other man, question was heart. with um, if you could get an automotive question. contract, you'd still have a very tough taskmaster. So I, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I. I said if you could get an automotive either first or second tier contract, you still have a very tough taskmaster. They're they're not easy people to deal with, particularly small folks. No, they're not. Uh, I worked. There's actually one supplier for the Ford dealer for the Ford, not dealer, but the factory. They they change they change their local line haul carrier from their facility to the Ford plant every two years. Every two years they fire the company they got. They bring in a new one. And believe me, I, I I prefer to stay away from it. But my question, yeah. my other two questions are kind of tied into the same, if you will. With the e-log mandate and all that stuff, all this new stuff coming down the pipeline, are, is all the freight, you know, whether it be van, reefer, flatbed, oversized tank, anything like that, are they all going to have uh, the same difficulties with these rigs? Or is one going to be, you know... Uh, not not necessarily easier to deal with, but it's going to be more friendly to those regulations. And secondly, uh, is there, is there, are these uh, regulations going to going to, going to start causing volatility, volatility? Kind of like what we're seeing a little bit in the economy right now: big stores merging, stores closing down, closing locations, things like that. Because typically, when when big companies start merging, that means the economy's starting to go back down again, not 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 uh not increase. Not necessarily, uh, Chad. It really depends on certain industries have to merge for one reason or another for efficiencies. It's not always because things are bad. Um, it just, you know, our industry is famous for mergers and acquisitions, especially right now, and there's a lot of reasons. One of them is because an awful lot of the owners are all around, you know, they're between 55 and 70 years old. They want to get right. out. Um, and yeah. it's for that reason. Um, retail is one of the th- we one of the talking. things, uh, Chuck. One of the things that uh, I learned the past couple of weeks is a thing called EBITDA, and uh, it it basically is a way to evaluate the company. But it's uh, after you get through with it, it's basically a multiple of net earnings with some adjustments. But right. if you are a broker, uh, your value is as much as eight to ten times your annual earning. If you're an asset-based carrier, it's more like four or five. So the people that got a fistful of dollars are willing to pay twice as much uh, to get a broker as they are to risk the money and put it into an asset-based carrier, which I find is kind of of interesting. So uh, Chuck is probably the darling of the takeover specialist where – uh, the guy that's uh, got the got the uh, 
the payments on those trucks uh, uh, is not looked at as quite as good an investment. No, because you're you know you've got so much exposure. That's why, and the mm-hmm. brokers don't have nearly the exposure. They don't have trucks going up and down the road with their name on them. They don't have the labor. They don't have anything else, and that's why the um, you know the brokerage houses trade for so much more money. One thing that we haven't talked about tonight, and I know we're running out of time, but one of the real thing that crimps the ability of small carriers is this negligent selection and vicarious liability, uh, and the lawsuits are still incredible. If a small carrier only has $750,000 involved in a wreck, you can bet that the broker and the shipper above him is going to be sued, and that has an impact on the willingness of large brokers and large uh, shippers to use small carriers. Uh, you know, they, there's a competitive advantage if you are uh, uh, got a thousand trucks and can take a non-million dollar judgment over someone's willingness to do business with a small carrier, so long as they interpret the, the law to say that there's up supply chain liability. So long as the plaintiff can get through the licensed, authorized, and insured standard and make it stick and uh, um, there are some frightening judge, uh, lawsuits uh, in the mix uh, in which plaintiff's bar is just running amok. I don't think that uh, that Chuck sees it in Canada nearly as uh, as bad no. as we do here. But I don't care where you are in the country. If you turn on the TV, you see somebody that's out there trolling to uh, to get uh, accident cases against big trucks. Yeah, and that needs to so- be ended. Yeah, that uh, uh, there. Uh, I could I could name two right now that would that would shock you guys. But uh, so oh, still there? I think we think we might have lost Chad. Uh, but um, but yeah, we're we're getting ready. We're pretty close. We're a little bit over in the overtime. Um, I had a feeling that we might have went over a little bit on the show tonight. But uh, anything that you guys want to say before we get out of here, any closing arguments? Uh, we had a couple of calls, but we didn't get any responses from uh, the questions that they had. So um, I'll try the and grab them. Let's see, let's the see if I can try and grab them say, before we get out of here. Yeah, the only thing I want to say, uh, I, Rico, is by the time we talk next, uh, the uh, – National Academies of Science report will be down on SMS methodology. Okay. Um, and uh, let's see if we can grab grab this caller that's calling in from the area code 309. And caller from the area code 309, do you have a question for us tonight? All right. Going once, going twice. 309 area code caller. Right, we'll put them back on hold, and we'll try this other one before we get out of here. Caller calling in from area code 267. You're up and on board. You got a question for us tonight? Well, we can hear them, but we, uh, we're not getting any action from them, so we'll put them, we'll, we'll put them back on hold. Uh, 
with that being said, did, did, Hank, did you have, did you finish your thought, or you got anything else you wanted to get yeah, in there real no, quick? Yeah, no. The only point is, by the time we we visit again in July, uh, there will be a lot of news in terms of whether or not we're going to be able to be successful in killing SMS methodology uh, and replacing it with a, uh, a more objective safety measurement system that will uh, help us uh, make it a more competitive marketplace than what we're seeing now. So uh, uh, let's let's plan on next, next month maybe making that a topic. And if uh, people are interested in joining, I'd, I'd like to uh, address safety regulations next month. Absolutely. We'll make sure we make a note of that, that, that maybe changing the SMS methodology. Chuck, anything, last yeah. words before we get out of here? No, it's, uh, you know what, I've really enjoyed tonight. Uh, Hank, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It was a pleasant surprise. I didn't realize you were going to be on the show tonight. And, Rico, I thank you for hosting it because it, uh, it was a great night, and it was certainly enlightening to hear Hank and to hear his perspective and bring us up to date on things. Um, I certainly learned a lot, and uh, I do appreciate it. Chuck, I'm going to be back in Toronto, land where I saw your son in September. I hope I can see you then. Okay, I look forward to it. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank both of our esteemed mentors for taking time out of their busy schedule to take time to join us, uh, Mr. Chuck Snow and Mr. Hank Seaton. We definitely appreciate you guys. We look, we definitely look forward to the enlightening conversations that you always bring to the table for us. Um, and just want to just send kudos and thanks out to you guys. Wrapping everything up, want to send a big shout out back back at the home front at the uh, uh, little Miss Manaya. She is uh, taking and screening the phone calls tonight. My other daughter Fatina, she's still in China. She was on a China trip to uh, with her school and everything. So. Uh, we, we, we brought oh, in a pinch hitter, Miss Benaya. She's back at <laughs> she's back at the, at the home front, screening the phone calls in for us tonight. And of course, we want to thank Kevin and Lisa Rutherford for taking uh, giving us the opportunity to be able to bring this show to you guys uh, and the entire Less Truck team. And as we always say, God bless you and good night. But always keep it safe out there, you guys, and keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. We'll talk to you the same time, hopefully, <laughs> God willing, next week. Be safe out there, everybody. God bless you. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Hank. Thank you. Thank you, all callers. Good night, gentlemen. God bless. Thank you, Rico. Good night. Be safe, everybody. Good night.